Hello and welcome to the Let's Talk Azure podcast with your host Sam Foote and Alan Armstrong. If you're new here, we're a pair of Azure and Office 365 focused IT security professionals. Each episode, we talk about a specific topic in this space. This week, it's episode five of season two. We're going to have a chat around compliance management with Azure policy. Microsoft's tool for tracking and enforcing compliance within Azure. Hey, Alan, how are you doing? Hey, Sam, I'm doing okay. Uh, had a couple of well, a couple of days off, so how are you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, I'm glad we're keeping with our recording schedule and um, making sure that there's lots of great new content for everyone. So, um, and I can see that the the previous episodes are starting to gain uh, a lot more um viewership uh, not viewership because this is audio only so listenership and um yeah we can see that people are are really starting to listen so thanks for every everyone for um taking the time to to listen to us yeah and i think this new format seems to be working compared to our previous format well i guess we can't retell because we've had a break so yeah exactly but... yeah yeah no it, it is great Right, Alan, um, let's talk around um, Azure policy today. So um, just to sort of loop everyone in, I'm going to be taking the the role, I'll say, of quotes expert. Um, I, won't, I won't profess to call myself an expert in Azure policy. I'm sure there's many others out there that are a lot more in, in depth with Azure policy. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk around the product. Alan's going to fire some questions at me, um, and we're just going to talk about how we've used policy in the past, uh, what we like about it, what we don't, and um, some of the use cases for it. Yep. Okay. So let's let's get going. So one question. So I guess the first question is, in general, is what is regulatory compliance? How do we use it, or why do we need to use it, or comply to it? Okay. So yeah, I think it's good to set the scene of outside of the world of Azure policy what goes on in the real world. Um, because it might be that people don't maybe um, realize what certain organizations have to comply to. And um, when we get approached by customers, um, they they can be of varying different sizes in different industries. And they may be, and the majority of the time, I should say, they follow some sort of re regulatory compliance framework. And that could be either because they have uh, decided to adopt that framework. They might not be, you know, they might be required to to adopt a specific framework um, to, to base their um, information management system and and their internal, uh, say, quality and control systems on. Um, and others are forced um, to do that. So they may be in a industry an industry that is regulated. So they may have to force uh, uh, follow certain things. I'll give an example. Um, NIST, uh, the regulatory compliance framework NIST is required by organizations dealing with the federal government in, in the United States. So, you know, if they want to, um, if they want the United States govern, government to procure maybe products and services from them, then they need to uh, adhere to a certain level of um, the, the NIST uh, framework. So uh, there, there's some, there's some few there's a few really big ones. So you've got NIST, and there's two variants of NIST. Um, you've got CIS, which has many different versions on um, as they go through the years. They've, they've been changing that. You've got ISO, um, mainly 27001 for um, the sort of um, 
the IT space, I would I would say, you know, it's it's more it's 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 mostly used for. Then you've got things like um, uh, PCI compliance. So that's all around um, if you store and process credit card information, um, the credit card and credit and debit card industry have their own uh, level of uh, PCI compliance for managing. Because you can imagine what it's like to capture all of the details of somebody's bank card um, and the the, the controls that need to go in place of that um, and, and making sure that that's secure. Because, uh, you know, even if you're transmitting them over a secure wire, um, they've still got to land somewhere and you may need to hold those for a certain amount of time before you say capture uh, the information. And then let's say you're going to do a refund. You might need those details to process that refund as well. So you'll have these organizations that... Um, follow these regulatory compliance frameworks and 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 effectively then what happens is is they they have to apply them to their it estate so you know uh i'll give you the example i'll just use P pci again you know I i'm a business that handles um credit card information so i i must follow pci compliance which invariably then as as part of that framework it gives us um, controls and policies um, of the best practice, the best practice approach um, to to mitigating the risk of, um, like, say, a security breach. So, if I'll give it, I'll give a working example. It may say that a regulatory compliance framework may say that all data at rest must be encrypted to a certain level, and so. The framework, the regulatory compliance framework is telling the organization that, and then they have to then go and make sure that their whole IT estate that is handling that information at least, is it, it, it follows that policy um, and actually enforces it throughout their organization. So, so are we saying that some of these compliances or regulatory compliances have technical controls, you know, for for the you know, from the IT space, but also there's a lot of process as well, you know, business process that they have to comply to as well. Yeah, usually in an organisation, there's sort of two sides to this. There's the business process side and um, policies, procedures, and controls that they have from a like an information management uh, perspective. If you're talking about say ISO. Um, so you'll have all of the controls that are related to what they should do in the event of X and Y. Um, and then the other side of that is, is and almost the more granular and specific information around the technical compliance side, you know, because, because just because you're, let, let's, let's use the example that I used before of like, um, storing rest-based, um, REST-based, having REST-based, you know, encryption on all of your, on all of your systems for storage. Well, that's no use if your access control policy to your front door of your office allows anybody to walk in and plug, you know, a USB stick into the front of a, a server, you know, that, and I, I've really like, you know, massively generalized that, but there are real world considerations that you have to take in, into account, not just the pure technical um, scenario, right? That was a really sort of noddy example of, of, of mine, to be honest with you. And I only really get involved in the technical compliance side. 
And what we are seeing now is a lot of organizations who maybe have, um, they might have regulatory compliance teams within their organization. But what, what you'll generally tend to find is those people aren't technically skilled or from an IT um, perspective. So it requires, you know, uh, maybe uh, technical input from people that maybe aren't regulatory compliance experts, say like me and you, Alan, to help, you know, people that actually um, manage these frameworks within the organization to achieve the results um, that they want. Um, so I think it's like there's there's basically two sides. You know, there are two sides to it, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So what so how does azure policy what is azure policy how does it help me i guess in some sense help me um be, meet a regulatory compliance okay so i think to start off with to preface is that if you uh, azure policy obviously azure understands the resources that you have deployed within azure right they handle the management and the deployment and the maintenance of, um, you know, the virtual um, resources that you've got. And what Azure policy is doing, it's it's effectively an umbrella on top of, it can be scoped down, but let's just talk in general sense. It's sort of an umbrella above all of your resources. And what it can do is you can apply a number of policies. So to give you an, an idea of a policy, and a policy may be, you know, um, to uh, to to require um, Azure Disk Encryption. Let's use that as a as an example. It's a little bit of an awkward example as well, so I'll keep using it um, throughout this. So, um, so you could have a policy which says all of my virtual machines, all of my virtual machines, and everything that's connected to them must be covered by Azure Disk Encryption, which effectively is BitLocker right, in, in the Windows world. So you could put a policy in place, which which um, you, you put that singular policy in place and it could go off and look at all of your virtual machines and say, which ones have got Azure Disk Encryption enabled on it or not. Now, from a discovery perspective, that's very powerful because if those policies are then linked back to regulatory uh, framework policies, then you can start to understand whether you're compliant in certain controls for those uh, those regulatory compliance frameworks. You know, so you know if um, if PCI required Azure Disk Encryption or some level of encryption, you know, um, uh, on those machines, then you could say, okay, for this control inside of this regulatory compliance uh, regulatory compliance framework, then I can see all of my resources. And I can see which ones are compliant and which ones aren't. That gives me a really good indication of, for that control inside of a regulatory compliance framework, whether I'm actually meeting that control or not. And I don't think I really talked about controls too much, actually. So I'll just, I'll just jump back to that because I think I skipped over that into, in terms of regulatory compliance. Regulatory compliance frameworks will have a number of controls. They'll be numbered like, you know, section one, dot one dot one you know dot one dot two and, and and vice versa they group them together in certain controls and those are the controls it, you know um 
and, and those are the controls, uh, aka the policies that are in place that they that they want to enforce inside of your organization. So, as I said before, a control might be that all data is stored at rest, you know, with encryption placed on it. That's that's a, that's a very common one uh, nowadays for regulatory compliance framework uh, for, uh, regulatory compliance frameworks. So um, we can map Azure policy is able to map controls that are from regulatory compliance frameworks to actual policies inside of Azure. Okay, so is are you saying then that you know we're talking about Azure? So is there some templates, policy definitions based on those regulatory compliances? So that you've got the the controls that you can use on Azure sort of mapped out so you can see, you know, in effect what compliance you are against a regulatory compliance. Okay, so if you're so in answer to your question, yes. Um Azure has a, a Azure policy has what they term to be policy policy initiatives. And a policy initiative is effectively a group of policies that you can apply at certain scopes inside of your uh, Azure environment. So what you can do, if you're lucky enough to follow a regulatory compliance framework that has already been, they have already created initiative for in Azure, then it is relatively simplistic to get that level of visibility. Okay, because what what you can what you can do is you could say, we'll take CIS one point three. So there's a a, a a policy initiative for CIS one point three. And what you can do is it's already pre-packaged for you in Azure. You simply assign it at whatever scope that you want. You either assign it at a management group scope, a subscription scope, um, and then you can you can go on from there. So what you could say is, is if I want just visibility of that to start off with, because usually when a customer comes to us, they might not have any Azure policy in place whatsoever. They might not have any might not have any knowledge about how compliant they actually are right so usually the first part of that engagement is to put a, an initiative in place that is in audit only right and each of the policies that we put in place in azure policy we've got different modes that they can be put in and i'll talk about those a little bit later because we can talk about that for a long time but effectively what i could do is i could say okay i follow cis 1.3 I want to roll out an initiative um, that is audit only to start off with. I apply it and then I wait a few hours, let's say, right? Because everything, it runs on, say, like timer jobs. It's not instant, right? You have to wait for things to refresh, different assets and different systems refresh at different times. So effectively, we set it and then come back tomorrow, right? Like that's that's how we sort of, you know, uh, think about it. And then... Um, there's probably a specific refresh time, right? But we just flick it and, and wait. Um, and then what we can do is come back the next day and then we can go, okay, for my policy, you know, my, my uh, policy initiative of CIS 1.3, I'm going to go into that one and I'll be able to see all of the controls that it's mapped to. It won't be able to map to all of the controls inside the regulatory compliance framework because, you know, um, some of them aren't applicable to Azure and they're not applicable to technology. The technology that we're handling they might be business process and and bits and bobs like that there might also just be controls that can't be checked automatically in azure 
which need to be, you know, those uh, gaps need to be filled in. That's where, like, you know, um, humans will then take over and, and help with this. Um, and then you'll be able to drill down. You'll be able to say, okay, inside of encryption, um, I can see that f four of my 20 VMs um, don't have Azure Disk Encryption enabled. Okay, I should start to, I will then know that I need to start remediating them. I can put a remediation plan in with my, say, infrastructure team to start working on uh, those problems. So, so uh, a, a policy initiative can be a very, very quick way to get some a view of regulatory compliance in so you can start remediating. One big caveat to that is, is a lot of, uh, there are a lot of things that are not covered by these uh, policy initiatives and even policy in itself that, that can't be, that can't be tested. So I think it's good to understand that Azure policy and policy initiatives are one part of a larger you know, a regulatory compliance framework and process inside of your business. You know, it can it can massively help and, and give you visibility, but it's not a case of just enabling an initiative and then you've seen everything that is wrong. There are potentially hundreds of other areas that need to be manually looked at. Okay, so as well, I guess that... Uh, these these policies are to um, help you discover what you as a as an organization has control of because if we think about the um, who has responsibility in a cloud environment you know depending on you know if it's a, a virtual machine then you have to take you know more responsibility about the operating system things like that where if you've got a web app service or something like that that there's less for you to look after. So I'm guessing there is some documentation that says what Azure in general complies against, isn't there? I think so yeah. that you could, you know, that at least the back end, the core stuff or any of the services are covered under certain regulatory compliance until it's the organization's responsibility. Yeah. And I think it's, I think what Azure policy is going to do is show you where your shared responsibility module mod, uh, model with your cloud provider because that's how they all work is on shared responsibility uh, models right that yes we will give you if we give you a virtual machine you know that isn't inherently secure you know uh, microsoft can come in and, and be compliant to certain regulatory standards um but what you do on that virtual machine could lead it to be insecure right and what policy is also helping you with is saying hey, I think, we, you know, hey, we think you should change this because in, invariably what can happen sometimes is you could deploy something, it be compliant, and then after a certain amount of time, it could become uncompliant, right? Be just because of general, you know, a workload's deployed to it, somebody's jumped in and accidentally added the wrong firewall rule or something like that, right? That's what we're, a lot of that low-hanging fruit is what we're trying to identify with these policies yeah. and in a way that we can clean up after other people, if that makes sense. Because what we we also have the um, talking about, I suppose this comes back to shared responsibility. Um, 
what we can sometimes have is we can have like a customer with a product team. Let's say they're a SaaS business and they're building software over and over again. They've got their roadmap that they're just building against and they're like, you know, smash forward. I've got to get through my roadmap. I've got to keep my investors happy. I've got to keep, you know, my shareholders happy. Um, and then maybe they invariably miss a few things because they're running at, you know, a thousand miles an hour. And um, and so uh, Azure policy can also help with that because it can be sort of a big brother looking after, looking over your shoulder and going, hey, you know that storage account you just created? Well, anybody can access it from anywhere, right? And it's got public, you know, uh, public blobs in it, right? So, um, and, 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 and a lot of the time, uh, those those vulnerabilities are shown just from um just you know human mistake you know it's it's not necessarily somebody's like hacked into azure storage accounts and then got access to it it's it's most of the time it's humans leaving things you know open and vulnerable to attack yeah so so can you is there a way to stop you know deployments you know automatically being non-compliant against a regulatory compliance can you can you stop someone deploying it? I guess in that okay, conflict. Okay, so let's let's talk about let's talk about remediation because it's quite it, it all sort of fits inside of this yeah. this 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 area. So I mentioned it briefly earlier, but when you create when well when you either create or there are inbuilt policies within inside of Azure, when you use those policies, some of those policies have the ability to have what's called deny effects on them. So what you could say is, let's think of one that is really um, simple. Um, so um, storage accounts. So storage accounts, the net, you know, networking rules inside of a storage account inside of Azure. So what, what you can say is you can do an enforcement and say, you know, um, um, all storage accounts, let's say in your business, you didn't need any public storage accounts bit weird but it can happen like actually to be fair it's not that weird actually right so you know so you basically say um you, you basically say right i don't want to create any storage accounts that have public blob access right you can you can create a policy which audits that and says you know which ones of which one of my storage accounts has actually got that issue but better than that you could put an a a, a, a deny in effect in there a deny effect in there, which says don't allow anybody to create a storage account that has public blob access. Now, what you're then doing is then you're preventing, you know, um, regulatory compliance issues in the future. And you're also saving yourself a job because you don't have to remediate a live production system, you know, in, in the future, which can be very complicated and very hard to get across the line. So, so yes, you can definitely do that. Now, to caveat that, because that sounds quite exciting, because it's just like, you know what I'll do? I'll bind my whole, you know, I'll, I'll create this regulatory, uh, <laughs> create this policy initiative that just covers everything and nobody can do anything wrong, right? Like I'm, I'm going to control everything with policy. It's not quite that simple because some of some of the regulatory compliance policies um, cannot be cannot be enforced at the time that resources are created. I'll loop back to my Azure disk encryption example. You can't utilize Azure disk encryption until there is an operating system. Because say for Windows, it uses BitLocker. Now you can't you can't you can't 
uh, enforce that until the actual machine is live in there. So it's like a it's it's like a post deployment step. You know, you 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 build your machine, um, your operating system is then uh, loaded onto it, and then you can bit locker it down. So you know, so there's there's a time delay with that. So you can. So for Azure Disk Encryption, you can you can report to the business when a new virtual machine is created that doesn't have Azure Disk Encryption, but you cannot enforce it at the time that it is created. Now there are you know, that's just one example of it, um, but you 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 are going to invariably run into scenarios where, you know, you might have. In CIS, I think there's a hundred and three policies. I think it's something like that. It's over a hundred. I can't remember the exact number, but you've got 103 and you might only be able to enforce say 10 of those policies, right? Um, because, and also you have to take each of those policies in the context of which it, you know, is used. So I use the example of public blobs. So you have to think, you have to think about, okay, 99% of my storage accounts should not be public, but maybe I've got a marketing folder that I, you know, attach images for my marketing emails that get sent out to general public. Um, I need that one to be able to be publicly accessible. So just enforcing something at scale like that uh, might work, you know, if you're if you're wanting to, you know, lock everything down. But sometimes we find that it's just better to report on things and then just to do either an exception or a remediation, you know, a manual remediation after it. Yeah, I was going to say there's probably some scenarios um, where configuration you know, whilst it makes sense, you know, everyone understands why you want to do it. But in, like you said, the the public storage accounts, some scenarios, there's a legitimate reason why the business needs it to be configured that way. And I think you kind of organization need to take the approach of, you know, everything, you know, whilst everything should be compliant to one of these regulatory compliances, etc. But in reality, some of it is just so locked down. It's no point having services. So you have to take that exception where where it makes sense. And it's all about document documenting it and yep. and it's, identifying the yeah. risk and things like that. Yeah, and risk is the the exact keyword that you 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 mentioned there, right? Is it's always calculated risk. You know, because I'll give you an example. Um some regulatory compliance frameworks require you to have DDoS, anti-DDoS protection you know, inside on, you know, on any virtual networks that have, you know, um, uh, uh, public IPs, right? So if you have a virtual machine um, that is public facing, some regulatory compliance frameworks require you to have anti-DDoS in front of it. And do you know how much anti-DDoS costs in Azure? It's expensive. It's <laughs> thousands of, it's thousands of um, pounds, euros, dollars, however you, you know, pay for things. Um, it's very, very, very expensive. So what policy can also do is it can help you to understand, you know, actually, should we not go for an IaaS setup for that? Should we go for a PaaS setup? Because Microsoft's playing for anti-DDoS, you know, on, on their PaaS side instead. So when people think, okay, paying extra for PaaS is costing me money and I'm not getting as many virtual CPU core cycles and it's, it's, it's not as, you know... Um, it's not, it's not as cost efficient uh, for me to do that. They sometimes forget all of the extra things that they're getting on top that they don't have to ever worry about or manage, right? So, um, but it really, it does really come down to 
because every regulatory compliance framework is different. So it's it's really understanding your regulatory compliance framework for your organization and how your business is actually, you know, uh, mitigating, uh, well, implementing that framework inside of their business. You know, we've seen we've seen organizations that have all of the business process side and all the documentation and not very much on the technical side and also the other way around. Right. So it, it's not just a case of us technical people. Because this this is just technical, the technical side of it. It, it requires the whole business um, to, to to be part of it. Yeah, and just just quickly, you know, in a previous couple couple of jobs, two or three, you know, used to work for a local authority, and you know, we had strict compliance, you know, compliances to 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 meet against. But some of the configurations for this, so this is not talking about cloud, but this is just talking about you know Windows devices. You know, some of it was disable these features which meant that you know some of the core apps wouldn't work so we had to take that exception and i guess mitigate the risk so determine what departments needed that so you know it's all about you know in fact it's exactly what i said you know identifying the risk and working out what mitigations you're going to put in place to reduce that risk or, exactly. or manage that risk yeah yeah and so, i and i and i don't think uh, I don't think some people realize how much work that is, mm. right? To, to, you know, to um, uh, solution architect something in Azure and then also to make sure that it's, you know, um, regulatory compliant to your customer's, you know, frameworks. Um, you know, it, it's never, ever happened to me, but I've seen it in the past where, you know, a, a, a solution has gone in, somebody's completely forgot to ask the question of, what regulatory compliance framework are we working against? And then bang, it gets deployed and, you know, and, and invariably remediation then needs to happen or very expensive remediation needs to happen, right? Because it's it's not necessarily about remediation in Azure because that is that can sometimes be relatively easy to do, like checking a box or changing something. Um, but when you're when you're then saying, okay, you've now got to take anti-DDoS protection on that virtual machine that I made for you, you know, um, stomaching, I think it's 2000, is it 3000 euros a month? I can't remember what it is, but it's, it's something like that, you know, and you could get to that stage too far down the line, which is why I think cloud security professionals need to have it front and center, you know, and, and need to understand policy because, because it's relatively simple as you're, you know, um, creating that, that architecture. And we'll talk about Terraform and deploying it as code in, in a bit. Um, but you know, it's relatively simple to have that running whilst you're building your your solutions, and then understanding, you know, where those gaps, the where those gaps are ahead of time. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So I guess you're saying around, you know, if you had your staging environment, you can put it on there and determine what it is before it goes to production, etc. Exactly. So yeah. um, look at me. I'm talking about app development there. Um, <laughs> okay. Solution architecture, solution yes, architecture. Solution but architecture. But yeah, right. I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. <laughs> no, no dev background at all, apart from uh, logic apps. Um, anyway, so we've talked about Azure policy and how it can help with uh, regulatory compliance within Azure. At least, is there anything else it can do? Is there anything else it can help with? You know, is there anything around governance or management of the? you know, the, the Azure environment that it can do for us? Um, one, I suppose the biggest part for me is around tag governance. Okay. And I think 
I think tagging, I mean, we could do a whole episode on tagging. It might not be very exciting, but I think it could be quite useful because I think tagging is relatively overlooked in terms of how its importance, right? Because because the organization, and I don't really want to talk about tagging specifically, but the organization of resources inside of Azure has to be more than just logical placing of things inside of subscriptions and resource groups. You need more than just that metadata to accurately, and it's more of a problem at scale, right? So once you've got thousands of resources trying to work out like who owns the resource, maybe not the person that put it in or deployed it, but who is the current owner of that? And I'm not talking from a RBAC perspective. I'm talking about, you know, if this system breaks, Alan is the guy that I need to talk to, right? And that's, you know, that's his fundamental. And then when Alan leaves, how do we then pass, the, you know, the flag over, the, you know, the baton over to the new owner and things like that? So um, structuring tags and tagging is a whole other episode. But one thing to understand is, is um, Azure policy can enforce that certain tags are required on resources. And what's great about it is that it can also flow down tags from, say, subscriptions down to resource groups. So into resources, sorry, and and resource groups actually. That's 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 that, that is correct. So I'll give you an example. So you might have your management groups and subscriptions set up where you have say a management group for a specific area in your business, and then you have a dev and a prod subscription. That might be the way you do it. I'm just using an example off the top of my head. So you've got system A and you've got dev and prod subscriptions underneath that management group. And lots of people have their management groups and subscriptions set up in different ways, depending on their strip. That's a whole other five episodes in itself, right? Landing so, zones, yep. <laughs> Landing zones, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cloud, yeah. Anyway, let's yeah, we could, let's pretend that all yeah. that stuff doesn't exist at the moment. But um, in my simple example, um, what you might want to say is you might want to say inside of that dev subscription, my dev environment, I want all the resources in there tagged automatically with environment is equal to dev, because then you definitely know that everything inside of there is inside of a development subscription. When you're three levels deep in blades in the portal, you'll always be able to see that there's a tag at the top which says it's dev or product prod and things like that. It's it's not really used for that because it's used for more like large scale um, querying and scanning. You 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 can infer a lot of this information from just using uh, resource graph explorer and writing some crazy you know, um, queries to find certain things, but it is an absolute godsend when you can say, you know, list me all of the resources that have the owner, Alan, Alan Armstrong, right? Because, because when you do that, it can span across all categories. And then you can say, okay, show me only production environments that Alan Armstrong is the quotes owner of things like that. So when it's a relatively small estate, that's not really that helpful because, you know, um, You've got your logical grouping anyway. You could just move around and, and find stuff out. But when you've got potentially hundreds of subscriptions and thousands of resource groups, you know, trust me when I say you'll spend hours, if not days, trying to find who owns things, you know, 
and especially when assets have been deployed over 90 days ago like you know good luck like um so yeah so so and, and when you're talking about big businesses that is a real problem for them so policy can can enforce that for you so you could say every time you create a subscription a subscription has to be flagged with an environment let's say so it has to be dev so when you create the subscription it's got to be on there or if you can't enforce it at the time you could audit it to make sure that they're actually on there then you could create another policy to say every resource that is inside of every resource group that's in inside of that subscription inherit that tag down if it's there so then you get them down to your resource groups then you could create a policy to say inherit the environment tag all the way from you know resource groups down to your resources if that makes sense so what you can do is you can do some really good tag governance with really low overhead of actually managing the tags like um I know of a customer who has, say, five tags at the subscription level, one required tag at the resource group level, and then all of their resources are tagged automatically. Now, you know, and we're talking hundreds of resources or thousands of resources, hundreds of resource groups. Do you, you, you know what I mean? Like they are absolutely massive. So you can get really good tag governance with very little overhead. Imagine having to manually manage all of that like over time. Impossible. Absolutely impossible. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say, is there a way of, um, I guess, inheriting them or, you know, does it cause a lot of overhead? But like you just said, you know, depending on how you deploy it or configure it and what tags you need, of course, as well, um, you can you know, automatically do a lot of that if it's set higher up. You know, obviously, at some point, you know, if there's a new subscription, if you're doing it at that level, then there's an initial configuration. But uh, outside of that, then exactly, it, it yeah. inherits. Yeah. And every organization is going to approach its tag governance, its tagging strategy in a, in a different way, right? And, and, and invariably, sometimes policy won't be the right, you know, tool for that job. Um, but, you know, um, if you're following, you know, say, cloud adoption framework in, in bits and bobs like that, and you're, and you're generally just saying, okay, we're going to follow best practice advice from Microsoft, a lot of those scenarios are already kind of catered for in policy um, for you. So it's not because tags are always the bane <laughs> if you've got a manually, like, you know, but I'm yeah. saying, no, let's be lazy. Let's just set it once and inherit it down. As long as our management group structure and our subscription structure is how we want it to be. And some businesses aren't at that point, right? Because everything's just in a single subscription, just dumped in there and it's a bit horrible. So sometimes you can't do it, but you know, if people that have actually gone through that process of, of changing that, um, it, it, it does work really well. Okay. So we've talked about tagging. Um, is there anything else that it can do? I think there's one around resource location and things like that, isn't there? Yeah. So um, when we talk to customers about stat cloud standardization, we one of the great areas is locking down resource locations. So it's, it's a relatively simple thing to do. And I think it's, re I feel it's really effective. So if you have um, a data sovereignty regulation, let's say you, um, you've you got a regulatory compliance control, which means that you have to keep data within the EU, let's say, um, what we can do is we can put a policy in place that when a resource is deployed, we lock down where it can actually be deployed to. So what we could then say is we could then pick a list of 
um, Azure locations. So you might say that I only want people to be able to deploy in UK South and UK West. West. Yeah, sorry. I was thinking East. I don't know why, but my brain was like backwards there. Um, so you might say, okay, I only want, in our example, I don't want any of my data to reside outside of the UK. So I'm happy, I'm happy for any resources to be created in uh, UK South and um, UK West, but I don't want them anywhere else, you know? And, and that is really powerful because it stops accidental hiccups of data being stored in the wrong place. You know, because somebody could, and we've been there before, haven't we, Alan? When you go to create a resource and it just randomly picks a um, a subscription and a resource group and a location for you, <laughs> right? Um, yes. And I say random. There must be, we need to find out from somebody <laughs> if there's actually any logic to that. But um, yeah, so you can, you know, um, you, you can accidentally deploy to the wrong location. And that might not be thought about for months you know, a, a production system might go live and then it's not until somebody's actually come in and actually checked it and gone, you know what, you're you're storing sensitive PII information in America, which you don't have, you know, it's not in your, you know, privacy agreement, you know, with your data subjects that you can actually do that. And then you're like, oh, now I've got to move it, <laughs> right? So, um, so it can have big knock-on effects. And that's why I love, especially that one, and I should have brought that up. That's probably actually my favorite <laughs> attacking to be turned on to you. It's so trivial to put in. It's an inbuilt control uh, policy, and it's just great. Like, and it just you know, you know, wh why not put it in and then never have to remediate that problem ever again, right? Just get rid of it, you know. Or don't put it in, and you could pay people like you know Alan and I to come and fix it for you. But you don't want to do that, right? So just put this policy in place, and then you know be enforced, um, yeah, f forever basically. Yeah, it's definitely really powerful, and you know, I think there are there's quite a few others there that are built in. Like um, that, one right? of the, so one of them I can think of is you can be, limit which you um, can only, VMs like, you spin up, you know, so you can, you can make sure that there's no like, some GPU ones, single digit yeah, so you don't, you're not racking up the uh, and it's the cost, like you know, things do you like want that. People just to be able to not just the cost, but also the actual you know limiting of the actual resources as well, right? You know, so yeah, um, yeah, it's there, there's. There's there's many other built-in bits, um, yeah. And we, sh yeah. If if this wasn't if this wasn't audio, I'd love to go in and show some specifics, right? Because there are some really good, uh, really good inbuilt ones. But um, mm. but I think it's better just to keep it high level and get people to go and have a look at it. Yeah. Okay, so there's a few ways to to approach this. Yeah. We've got ARM templates built into Azure, um, so you can you can create ARM templates with your policies in yeah. place. Okay, deploy so them via. We kind of talked about, about this um, a earlier. Simple pipeline. A little bit. We'll start to. We'll just fire. You know, do I have to use the portal? CLI. Do we? Can we deploy um, by to, code to, to deploy you know, them? You know. um, what I like about and there's Terraform, which can also do it as well. And then there's blueprints as well, which is a way to is a way to um, bundle many um, different types of resources together. So if you're doing more than just policy, then you can bundle other things. So you know if you're if you're you know if you want to deploy specific resource groups to every new subscription, that you can do that in a blueprint and things like that, which is which is really powerful. 
Um, but what's great about not doing it via the um, the the interface is that you can um, create your own custom policy initiative and then bundle in like extra things. So so what we'll end uh, invariably end up doing is taking CIS and all the built-in controls for that and then adding a bunch of cloud standardization stuff to it as well. There is, is, there's also nothing stopping you deploying those se- separately and having multiple initiatives. But I personally prefer to like lump them together um, and, and have it all as one like thing, uh, one object. And if you do all of your configuration in code and deploy it, then you can also have a really good change management process, right? It's not just a case of going in the portal and updating a few things. It's actually... You know, there's a process of actually changing that, it going through a review and then being deployed. So, and um, some people completely block um, people from changing any policy and only allowing um, the code policies, the code initiative, the code based initiatives to actually roll out. So, there's many different control elements that you can do there um, because. You know, it, it depends in your organization how RBAC works. And there's another conversation, right? This isn't us, you know, doing some sort of discovery. But, you know, um, there's there's all, there's all usually always somebody that can come in and change anything at any given time. You know, there is an activity log and, an all, you know, so you can understand what people have done. But sometimes it's better to just have everything grayed out and go, hey, everyone, these are the rules. You know, if you don't like it, talk to this team and they'll roll out a change for you. You know, so um, so yes, one hundred percent policy as code deploying from GitHub, Azure DevOps, GitLab, like however you how however you fancy doing that. Um, and from my personal perspective, that's that's the exact way that I try to approach it um, with a customer, if they if they have those things set up, you know, if they have DevOps and everything ready to go, or help them put that in at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And if if you're lucky enough to have a product team, yeah. okay, development cool. team, I guess team, what we say well, about change management, I guess as part of that, different people look if it was the infrastructure of the product. Uh, so managed by a security team to do the, that the dev team the locking down the of the environment. You know, and there's yeah, those reviews can be done by the, comes in and the dev teams to make sure it's not going to break their app. If you're lucky enough, force the pipeline to go via the different stages, etc. Or your infrastructure team uses Terraform then you can run regulatory compliance checks against Terraform before it even goes live. So so there, there is also, mm. it's not po- Azure policy, it's before that point, it's, it's part of the Terraform toolchain. But you can effectively say, okay, check my Terraform files for CIS 1.3. And if it's not compliant, then throw a big red error message in, in DevOps pipelines, you know, and, and don't let it go into production. So... There's another reason. There's all all roads lead back to Terraform. Let's be honest about it for us um, Azure guys. But you know, um, there's many reasons to have you know infrastructure as code because this does feed into it um, as well.
<laughs> okay. Yeah, so you so can um, something becomes connect, um, if we go back to, to um, um, things policy. not being compliant, um, and what that will do is as apart from me going into the Azure policy and seeing the fire events into event grid, is there a way there, for you can pretty much do Azure policy or Azure to tell me you know, that something's um, gone into so th you know, a non-compliant state, or I guess the other um, way that something's of, become compliant. You know, uh, main viewpoint of how that, that you know that the communication element and the alerting element of that of, of that should happen. So, what would be what sometimes quite nice is to pump those alerts, say, into a Teams channel as things update. You know, um, you know X, Y, and Z has now become uncompliant, or you know, um, and, and showing that back to the back to the organization. Because, like you say, you could just configure all this stuff, especially if you're just doing it in audit mode. And then leave it forever, and just nobody ever look at it ever again. And that's not particularly helpful for for anyone, right? So, yeah. Yep. Yep. I I guess a from that perspective, if you're not going to enforce sort of um, a defender for being cloud informed is, proactively, is a really interesting. That's what we're talking about. And proactively when, being informed. Have we done an episode like on change. defender for cloud? Um, we did security. Centers, I guess didn't we? that you can see some of that regulatory compliance within the defender for cloud product. So you can see you can see it maybe in a yeah, nicer okay, view than maybe okay. Azure policy in some okay. sense. But because I think that, being that's a notified very good, in Teams or Slack or that's a, that, whatever. I think we should revisit regulatory compliance in Defender for Cloud because there is a there is some overlap there, I think. Right? So in, and, in, um, in the last season, yeah, what, in the last season we did the, Security the Center, Defender for Cloud is, is that imminent, Defender maybe not next week, but really maybe the week or a couple of weeks after. But, but on, on, on from that, it doesn't have... The functionality to enforce and to 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 do maybe some of the other bits mm -hmm. that as your policy does really well, right? But like you say, there's a lot of things coming into especially well, into Defender for Cloud that are, are really helping with that communication piece, single pane of glass, being able to look at multiple tenants and things like that, right? Because um, there's there's lots of things going on there, so what we what we generally t the, the way that I generally think about this is if you if you're a company if you're an organization that has adopted defender for cloud because there is an inherent cost of that um, as well not just in terms of time but the actual cost of it because it yeah. can be quite expensive you know um not quite expensive but it, it can rack up right so you've got to make that decision about whether you're going to pay for that um so if if you are a defender for cloud enabled organization um and i'm not saying you shouldn't be but you know there's, there's a decision to make there um, then you can get really good visibility of regulatory compliance um, relatively easily with Defender for Cloud, can't you? You know, um, but it's when some of the exception handling and things like that, um, Azure policy can can really help help you. Um, and the enforcement, I think, is the big part that is is missing from that side. Is that that's right? As now, I don't think you can. Yeah, yeah, we gotta we gotta talk about it. Yeah. 
But I haven't said anything that's incorrect there, have I? Like, just for this one, or was... Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah I, I'm not. I the think we're, we'll leave well, it to an episode. Defenders. We could talk about it a lot. Over, sure. we're, uh, that's, that's in Alan's wheelhouse for sure. So no, yeah, let, let's, no, there's let's some, talk about some things that um, we'll do a we'll, we'll do a cross we've been living in it the last into, twelve months um, and we, so your policy and how it's, they it's quite a good place to sort of go into we have later been asked on, that before, haven't we? Like yeah, I think most of it's right. Again, we'll try and cover it all. Defend of a cloud. Well, you know, yeah. So and then things like that. So. Yeah, we can we can talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Okay, so I think now we're kind of coming to the end. So I think we're looking at a recap. So, you know, in their industry, they have to comply against some of them, like NIST, as we talked about in CIS. Um, Azure policy allows you to audit and potentially control um, uh, deployments or functionality or configuration within Azure which could help towards compliance or could help with other outside of compliance or other things like the tagging, the, the way you deploy your re, you know, your resources to, um, it can be managed and deployed via code. Um, there's some Terraform tooling that can help you with your CS compliance before you send your code up, up there for in infrastructure at least. Yeah. Um, you yeah, can I think, I think track, you can get it to practically tell you when something becomes non-compliant or is compliant based on events happening. Task to um, remediate things in bulk, else, you can do automatic if, if remediation. Yeah, so it's kind of the things we were you, talking about. Um, for instance, with the tag, you know, um, uh, anything the, the else tagging, I've missed? you can run a remediation tag to flow down all your uh, remediation task to flow down all your tags um, uh, after the fact. Now, we we can sometimes do that if the change is relatively mundane, like let's say you want to disable FTP and FTPS on you know um, your your app services. It might be that you only have a handful of them, and it's it's relatively known that nobody connects with FTP. So fine, we'll remediate to go back to you know no access, and then we'll enforce it going forward that nobody else can can create them uh, or that can use that fe feature or functionality. Right, so um, it is possible to do that as well okay great well let's leave it there for this episode um and if you've been listening um thank you ever so much for for listening it's been um yeah it's 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 been a good one hasn't it um what is the next episode alan uh, i believe it's okay, it's you cool. next time so you've got to you've got to pick which which one you want to talk about Well, we normally talk about our feedback, and I haven't spoke to you yep. about this yet, but should we see if people will okay. give us some feedback about what the next episode should be around, you know, should we do Defender for Cloud? Yeah, exactly. Or yep. 
um, Microsoft Entra, Azure AD. So we see if we get some feedback on it. If we don't, we'll choose one of them. I think it will probably be Azure and AD. And how can people give us but feedback, Alan? If we want to sort of continue with this regulatory compliance, then you know, we can switch to Defender Cloud. So um, if we get some feedback, we can we can uh, work on that and we can see if we get some, yeah, get some feedback. That'd be cool. Okay, great. So within the, the show notes underneath this episode, there is a link and it will take you to a form and you can fill out there and it will send us some feedback into our uh, deployment or management of our podcast. So yeah, and it doesn't just have to be about you know what? What you know? We're trialing this. You know what the next episode is going to be. It could be you know was this a good episode? Did we miss something? Is there something else you want us to elaborate on? That you know maybe actually you found this really interesting. You know, <laughs> yeah. we need to understand exactly if we're yeah. doing the right things and, um, because you know we're, yeah, we're as, kind of not guessing. Alan, we've Alan we've got some um, ideas about what um, episodes in the future are going to be. What, but what is great you know, to they're, see they're um, easily changed to meet what you know what our readers, these episodes. readers listeners. So if you do like um, the content that we're covering. Want to hear, then so. please do considering giving us a subscribe in your uh, podcast um, client. Um, and yeah, if you do have any feedback, even critical, please do share it with us. We'd prefer to talk about the things that everybody wants to listen to instead of the things that we want to come on and blab about, right? So um, please, please don't be shy um, from, from that perspective. So yeah, so next time um, we're going to either do Defender for Cloud or Azure AD. Um, and yeah, it, no feedback. We'll just do whatever um, we decide to do. But yeah, um, but thanks everyone for listening and we'll catch you in the next one. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, thanks everyone. See you later.